stay tuned to TKO. My guest this morning is 5th District Supervisor Ted Williams. Stay tuned. Good morning. I'm Karen Audubonny, and this morning, if I can get him tuned up here, is Ted Williams. Ted, are you with me? I am. Good. I got the right buttons. Okay. Um, so, I wanted to get Ted on. It's the first of the new year. Um, we haven't had to, I haven't had Ted on for a while, and we want to catch up with what's going on uh, for the county. Um, Happy New Year. Welcome to the show. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, I just I wanted to catch up and find out what a lot of stuff has been going on. Um, uh, and I wanted to check in with you. Actually, I want to, I don't know, congratulate you or announce, I, people don't know, you're actually the chair of the board this year. It's a rotating situation, and this year it's your year, right? That's right. And uh, I have some people reaching out thinking that I um, have more authority. And in fact, I help put the agendas together and I get to sign some paperwork, but um all five supervisors have essentially the same job, regardless of who's chair. Well, it probably takes a little bit more because you've got to chair the meetings and know what's going on and be ready to do it, right? I mean, it's it, a different dynamic in the meetings. I'm looking at who has their hand up, uh, making sure there's a fair rotation, and um, finding I have a little less opportunity to, to speak for myself. I try to throw my thoughts in at the end, but it's, um, it's not quite the same. Well, let me say, I've watched the first two meetings. There was one uh, the uh, first week of January and then the one yesterday, and um, you're doing a really good job of keeping the meetings succinct going forward. Um, I know every supervisor has different styles and chairing meetings and stuff, but I really appreciate the way you're moving things forward and keeping it organized. I think that bodes well for the rest of the year, but just just a sideline. Um, so let's let's first. I wanted to just catch up with um, last year. Uh, it was a heck of a year. COVID, fires, drought, but we made it through. So from your perspective, um, how do you feel about last year and what got done and how everything was handled? Just a quick recap. It, it, it's a blur. And, uh, <laughs> I would say all all three years of this experience um, between public safety power shutoffs, fires, the pandemic, drought, the county is constantly responding to emergencies. And then there's a lot of emergencies. I mean, if you're on the South Coast and your your phone service has been out for th- three or five weeks, that starts to feel like an emergency. And, um, you know, it's frustrating. I zoom out after feeling like, wow, we, you know, we won, we got some items done. I zoom out and a lot of the, the, the most critical issues, like, do we have roads that are safe? Do we have a broadband deployment? Will we have a hospital on the coast? A lot of those issues just move at glacier speed. And uh, I'm as frustrated as, as the public. And I know some of it is just the nature of government. We had Assemblymember Wood join us yesterday to give an update. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one of his biggest fans. I, I really see him fighting for Mendocino County. And he even acknowledged that there's not a lot of equity in California. The cost, he noted that people think it's cheap to live in a rural area. In a lot of ways, it's more expensive. And it's certainly more expensive for Mendocino County to provide the same services as the more urban counties. And yet, we don't get a larger allocation of funds per capita to make up for that differential. 
Yeah, he made that really, that was a very good point yesterday, um, that we don't, yeah, it's just something that we've always had to deal with. But yeah, when you step back at 30,000 feet, a lot of critical um, on-the-ground things got done, but a lot of long-range things that you'd been working on or trying to do are just moving at glacial pace. It is true, it's true, it's got to be really frustrating. Um so let's move forward um, to what's happening for this year. So far, I mean, I was really impressed with yesterday. One of the things you talk about achieving is that we're finally moving ahead with a puffer psychiatric ward. That's one. That's just something that's been on the table for God, how many years, Ted? Ever since you've been on the board, I think, right? Uh, well, well before. Well I before mean, that. So that actually finally got a direction. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's correct. Okay. And I mean, there there's some gaping holes. I don't think there's a solid financial plan, but you know, Measure B didn't ever have a financial plan, and you know, I was one of those voters. <laughs> yeah. That probably should have asked, why isn't there a financial plan behind this? And you know, I I hope it works. I government doesn't have a great track record of uh, constructing twenty million dollar buildings and staying within budget, and we're going into a period of heavy inflation, materials and labor. So. You know, I, I hope it works, but uh, there's a risk of inaction if we do nothing and wait for that ultimate plan. Uh, we're going to have our funds eroded away by inflation. So I, I was with the board. It was unanimous. And um, I think the public will be happy to see, even if it runs over, we'll be happy to see that we're fo- finally following through on the psychiatric health facility promise of Measure B. Okay. And I would just say that that is, uh, there's a Whitmore Lane pro- um, building compound whatever you want to call it that was bought with covid money i believe or money to do this um the land was purchased it was decided that the best it was a very good pre- i will say the person that present did the presentation yesterday did a very good job of explaining the different approaches and how to go um so it was resolved that for about the same amount of money it's better just to tear that unit down because you're going to have to upgrade it to today's standards which is ungodly costly as you say so what the outcome was is they're going to tear that down and start new which will make it a really upgraded facility and the justification for that for me watching it seemed really good um i hope you felt the same way i know you voted for it yeah Yeah. i think it's the best possible outcome yeah i would like to see more i have to say just for me wanting to see uh how things are going i i would like to see a lot more of those kinds of presentations when you guys make big decisions um i'm sure you would too because you always ask for the bottom line which i so appreciate ted i really do appreciate you saying okay what's this going to cost us um Mm -hmm. which it's it's not you can't always you can't always always project because of you know cost overruns and all of that, but at least you can get an idea of what you're looking at. So uh, keep asking those questions, would you, on my behalf, <laughs> please? Um, seriously, <laughs> because it's true. You know, having followed the budget and stuff, we just don't get a lot of numbers sometimes. And I know you're still trying to to get budgetary numbers, aren't you? Still, I yeah, mean, I think it's I think it's one of our our um, blind spots. I don't think we have. You know, we we do an annual budget, but we don't do a five or a ten year financial forecast. And um, we, yesterday, we appointed an interim CEO, Starcy Antle. She's been assistant CEO for a while, and uh, I, I think she's the best person to uh, look at a long term financial forecast. And um, she has my confidence. I think we're going to make some progress in that area this year. 
Yeah, that was another topic I wanted to bring up, too. Uh, so that was done in, in closed sessions. So we know I actually had my last show with, with Carmel Angelo, um, and she's leaving uh, March. Um, I think it's the end of March. And so you did appoint Darcy, who's been under her for, I'm not sure how long Darcy's worked for us, for a bit, I believe. Um, and then all the other, the other appointment that came out is Anne Mulgard, who's been working in a temporary position, I think, uh, helping to decide what to do with the different uh, health and human services departments. She's been appointed to lead public health. Is that what it was? Or health and human yeah, services? Public health director. She's, She's already been doing the job. This is just uh, formalizing, keeping her in that position. And, and the board didn't actually take action. We recommend because it's the CEO who makes this appointment. Yeah. Um, but we, we did voice our support. Well, and let's, let's, Let's talk about that. Since we brought that up, uh, one of the big discussions that's been going on is because Carmel Angelo is leaving, this is an opportunity for the board to go back and look at CAO, which is Chief Account... Um, I don't know what the A stands for. Administrative. An administrative. There we go. Sorry. Administrative officer or uh, chief um, executive officer. Um, so you've been toying with that idea. That idea has been on the table. That would be going back to a system we had, um, I think, in 05 is when they changed it, I believe. So that has been part of the discussion. Did Did you have an ad hoc committee, I believe, that was dealing with that? Wasn't that uh, Dan Jurdy and Mo Mulhern? Or, exactly. Okay. So... I was, um, I know that that's going to take an ordinance to change that under the, right? Mm -hmm. They have to rewrite an ordinance and describe how it is. Um, I kind of didn't really, no, I'm not, I mean, I didn't think the presentation was that solid yesterday on why they're, they're recommending going back to CAO. Um, it was like, okay, here's what we want to do. You guys decide. I didn't get a clear concept of what the difference is going to be and what kind of an impact that's going to have on you as a board of supervisors. Can you kind of help with that a bit? Well, and there was no action taken. That's true. Um, there was no action taken. It, Let's just get that there's out a, there. There's a commitment for, for more concrete ideas to come forward in about a month. Okay. And I think that was that's part of the motivation of appointing Darcy. Okay. Uh, Carmel's leaving March 19th, and uh, we we know we can't do an open recruitment between now and then. An open recruitment may take six months, and you can't really do the open recruitment until you figure out what the structure should be, what model. And there's, you know, throughout, you've looked at 58 counties throughout the state, and more of them have the CAO, but how many of them have the characteristics of Mendocino? You know, we enormous landmass. It takes takes over four hours to drive from one corner to the other. Um, and there's there's good arguments in 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 favor of both models. The CAO would uh, give the public a little bit more direct control. You elect your supervisor. Your supervisors directly um, oversee department heads. On the other hand, you look at how many department heads we have and their needs, none of them have enough funding, and having them all work with five supervisors independently arguing for their fair share, there's something to be lost not having that hourglass structure where it all um, funnels through uh, one one central person. But, you know, I think the, the bigger issue I hear is, well, why do we need a chief executive, whether it's a CAO or CEO? And, you know, every county has one. You look at cities, they have city managers. You can't have the electeds 
uh, meeting uh, every day to run the operations of a county or, or a city. And so you really need that one point person who's carrying out the direction of the electeds. And, you know, it's, um, there's nuances, CAO versus CEO. I don't know that that's, um, our, I wouldn't put that on the top 10 issues of Mendocino County. We have much more pressing issues than, than that exact structure. You know, I've also, I, I read fictions about the supervisors aren't allowed to talk to department heads under the CEO model. Well, I, can, I have their numbers in my phone. If I call any of them right now, first ring, they'll pick up. And I've, I've never found an inability to work with department heads under the, the current model. So I think it's more sensational, the idea of switching from, from CEO to CAO. might be the right thing to do, but it's, it's, um, it won't be as pronounced a change as some think. Well, and you get to decide the definition of that position, correct? I mean, there's not a fixed, okay, we're going to CAO, and that means this is what we have to do. Don't we have you as the, when you talk about the job description and all that, you can describe that job, correct? That, that is exactly right. And so CAO versus CEO is a label. Yeah. It's more the specifics of the ordinance, and it needs to be tailored to what works for Mendocino County. Well, I guess the one thing that comes up for me is that um, it's going to, okay, it, depending on how you define this position, is it going to put a lot more work on the supervisors? Because as it is now, I listen to you, um, you as a group, trying to set your calendar the first meeting of January. You spent a whole time just trying to set your calendar for the whole year uh, between meetings, between uh, off out-of-county meetings, between uh, committee meetings, between board meetings, trying to do all this. I mean, if anything comes up, you've got to put a lot of stuff aside just to deal with an emergency. So I guess my concern is how is this going to impact the job of the supervisors? Is it going to require a lot more time? And you've got no staff. I mean, that was one of the things that happened years ago when they we had to slash all the funding was we pulled back the clerk of the board to the CEO's office and the supervisors got a raise and then they didn't have staff. So what kind of an impact? I'm just concerned it's really going to overwhelm the board itself. Are you feeling that? Well, Norman Duvall, who sat in my seat for, for four terms, 16 oh, years, yeah. <laughs> um, he, he, he commented about how often the board met when um, the county functioned under the CAO model. Okay. And there's some truth to that. And, you know, I don't, I'm available 365 days a year. You know, I'll meet every day if that's what it takes to make progress in this county. But I, I also recognize the amount of staff it takes to run the meeting. When you add up the staff time, people sitting there waiting in case they're called on, um, it, it's, it's significant. And, you know, what we're, bottom line, what we're after is efficiency. How can we get the most done with the, with the, the limited funds we have? I don't know that meeting every week to directly manage staff will, will build that efficiency. It may be that giving direction every two weeks and having an executive oversee some of those departments may, may be the more efficient model. Um, but it remains to be seen. I'm keeping an open mind. I think um, uh, Supervisors Jurdy and, and Mulhern uh, did a lot of good research, and I hope they come back with uh, some concrete uh, specifics. Okay, so I didn't get that from the meeting yesterday that they were going to go back and re and add some more descriptions of things they were looking at i, I kind of that it kind of got dumped on uh john Haschak, didn't it 
Well, I think he volunteered. I don't, I mean, you can't have three supervisors working outside yeah. of open session. So yeah. it was a bit of a head scratcher for me. I, yeah. I was struggling to figure out <laughs> how they were going to move forward. And would we be looking at the exact same ideas a month from now? But uh, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that something will come forward. Oh, good. Because I kind of, I mean, not to be critical, but I just kind of got the idea that they say, okay, this is what we've decided. This is what we want you to look at. And no discussion and take it or leave it and we're done. So anyway, that's what I kind of felt. But because I think it's, um, it's going to, it's a good idea to look at our structure because as we've learned, the county structure is kind of fractured because you've got elected department heads, some of them, and you've got some that are under the board and some that are under the CEO and all of that. Uh, so I think it's a good thing to look at. I would just like to see a little bit more discussion, I guess, about it on what, how, how is it actually going to move us forward and maybe at a better, at a, a more, um, transparency i don't know what people are trying to go for i just efficiency is what i would be hoping to go for and streamlining things so that's the that's still on the table we hope that we'll be dealing with that um so as far as the board of supervisors go um one of the things i was talking i noticed yesterday with the ceo is that Carmel Angela's got a lot of history, and she knows where a lot of stuff has happened and changed and all of that. Uh, do you feel like you'll still be able to get that kind of history and the knowledge that you need from uh, when we move forward under a CEO, CEO, especially if we hire from without? What happens with yeah, retaining I think, I think that? There's a lot of, I think there's, I mean, certainly Carmel, her years of the county, you know, when, when an emergency comes up, she knows who to call. She knows who to yeah. call in Sacramento. She yeah. knows how to get a response. And, you know, she's offered to make herself available and to try to bridge that um, institutional knowledge. Uh, but it's not just with her. You, We have, you know, hardworking public servants at all levels who maintain a lot of that history. And um, I think uh, I think it was a good move to to take on an interim CEO. Yes. Um, it's going to, it'll smooth the transition. And like you said, we weren't quite ready to decide on a model going forward. This buys us some time. Yeah, that's good. I mean, yeah, it, it, we do need some time to figure this out because I think this is going to be a big transition with the structure and uh, what's going on. So, okay, let me just reintroduce. I'm Karen Audubonny. My guest today is uh, Fifth District Supervisor Ted Williams. He's actually chair of the Board of Supervisors this year. Um, so as far as the supervisors moving ahead and with this kind of discussion, are you feeling good about the committees that are set up? Um, and moving ahead with some of the hot topics and for the for the coming year you got some committees set up you got some ad hoc committees you're getting you know information are you getting what you need you think right now well if you ask me i'd wipe it all clean and start over but uh i've learned you, you can't you can't exactly do that in government and so I, I think we have a county government that um you know model that largely belongs in the, the last century and we you know we want to modernize it and we people should be able to interact with the county digitally from home and you know, the county should be able to within departments operate that way and it, it's not for a lack of trying and it's um you know there's a sense on the outside that uh, that it's about the people and what i found is we have really hard-working uh, county employees with with difficult problems if the problems were easy to solve it would have already been done give you an example the county uh purchased 
um, software for property management and taxation purposes about six years ago and has been trying to implement it and just running into uh, one problem after the next, getting our old data into a new system. And in, in my view, maybe that software wasn't quite ready for prime time. We were one of the first counties. And, you know, if we were to make that purchase today, we'd probably consider other vendors that, that may, may uh, be able to ease that transition. Well, it, that's moving at glacier speed, and that's just the nature of government. But when it's finally done, it will build efficiency. We're going to be able to get more done with less, and people will be able to do more self-service. In the meantime, you know, there's people who are waiting for a check from the county, and the software is not allowing it to be released. You know, if you're one of those people, you look at the county and think, wow, what a dysfunctional government uh, entity. And I think that's, you know, you ask about my priorities. I think modernization and building efficiency is really the goal. And it's, um, it's, it's not the fault of the CEO, any elected department head, the people who work for the county. It's just the nature of Mendocino County is a bit behind the times. And, and that combined with, you know, as we opened... There's not a lot of equity in California. You give us an equal allocation per capita, we can't provide an equal service or equal infrastructure. And our state reps recognize they probably don't have the votes. The legislative votes in Southern California would be needed to shift that balance. So what do we do? I think we respond to emergency one after the next, but we every day we try to build as much efficiency as we can because we have to do more with less. Okay, so is there any chance that that system is going to be up and running after six years this coming year? Or is it up and running now, kind of? Supervisor Jordy and I are meeting every day with, with, I'm sorry, every week with um, our uh, information technology staff. And I think think we are making some progress. And I think think it's being elevated. Um, The board is making a note that this process has not been smooth and it's gone on for far too long. And uh, I don't know where exactly we'll go from here, but, you know, I think Dan and I uh, may support uh, asking the vendor to bring somebody on site to help so that it's not our people struggling with this black box, but it's the vendor struggling with their own software. And, uh, you know, there may be some culpability on the county side. It may be that uh, back in the day we didn't um, determine that our data would uh, smoothly integrate into uh, the software. So I don't want to just blame the vendor. I don't want to blame county staff. Uh, We just want to make progress going forward. That sounds like a good idea. I'd like to see that. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing with our RKH systems internally is catching up with us when we try to now do things online, I think. Um, So talking about one of the things that Carmel said is that this new board is really trying to bring us into the new century in not only our digital stuff, but all of all of the management and how things are managed, how the county is run, that that's one of the goals of this board of directors is to really get us in a spot where we're running better. Um, so that brings me up to the whole idea of this combining the uh, the county auditor and the treasurer uh, positions. Um, I truly, I, even for all the years that I've studied the budget and did all that, the description of what each one of those jobs does entails, they seem very different in a lot of ways. So uh, 
Lloyd Weir re- retired, and that gave the county, the, you guys, an opportunity to combine those positions, which I understand is done in other counties, in other you know jurisdictions and things. Um, but I'm I'm concerned that I, as an outsider, and I'm and I'm going to be I'm going to be a voter, which means I'm going to now vote. You've decided to combine these positions. I don't know what you're calling the new position, but we, the voters, will actually vote for a person to fill that position. Which I'll say up front, I've always thought is a little bit odd because how do I know this person's skills and you know is it the right person to do finances and all that for the county. Um, So can you give us an idea of the whole idea of combining those two positions? Um, It seems like there's, there. I don't know how much preparation was done with the departments, but it seems like the departments have kind of dug in and said, wow, we really don't want to do that. Uh, I know that Sherry Schatmeyer, who's the treasurer, is talking about not running for that position. I guess I'm trying to get an idea of how you see combining those positions and bringing those two departments together to move us ahead into this century. Does that make sense, Ted? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, it's I mean, just, I don't understand how it's going to work. Well, <laughs> Neither do you. Uh, yeah, seriously. That's too big a <laughs> Supervisor Jurdy is probably the, uh, the, the best person to ask. I know um, the county has been considering this since, um, I think, discussion started around 2007. Yeah. And... Uh, the only time to make the change is when there's a, a vacancy, and it's it's just lined up that th- th- this is that opportunity. We looked at other counties, and the state allows um, a, a number of these elected department heads to um, to be combined combined in various arrangements. Uh, we looked south to Sonoma County, and you, you can't always draw a parallel. They have a much larger population and a significantly larger budget, but it seems to be working well for them. And it doesn't mean the departments have to merge into one. It means instead of having two elected department heads, there will be one who will oversee uh, the, the work of, uh, of, of both departments. How they go about uh, integrating and looking for efficiency remains to be seen, but um, I, if I were starting from scratch, I wouldn't, I wouldn't structure county government to have so many elected department heads. And, you know, I, I'll tell you who gets blamed. It's the Board of Supervisors. When, uh, when something doesn't uh, work right in one of the elected departments, it's the, it's the supervisor that gets the call. And yet the supervisor and the board as a whole really doesn't have uh, much say. Yep. So, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a difficult structure in California. It's what we have to work with. And it's kind of like half a dozen of one. I hope it's a, it, it's a move in the right direction. I think it is. Uh, but it's, you know, I'm not 100%. Well, so, who's, so, so is there an ad hoc committee that's working on combining these positions and letting the departments know how it's going to go forward? Who's actually doing the, that? You said Dan Jurdy. Well, that, but it, is, would be, it would be under the, uh, the existing elected departments and the new department. I was hoping county council would give an update on the, on the progress. Yeah, I didn't hear that. That, that, didn't, that didn't come yesterday. And uh, we'll see what we can do about getting it on the on the agenda. Because 
am, am I correct that that would be in an elected position on the ballot this June? Or are you talking about next correct. June? This June. This coming yeah. in a few months. Okay. All right. Because when they said next June, I was not sure if they're in. Okay. This June is be when we, we as, a, as a county, as voters, would be, ele- would be voting on that position. Um, okay. Interesting. Uh, so that means you're going to have to move fairly swiftly on this to get it as a defined position and then uh, so people know what they're trying to run for right i mean it's going to be it's going to have that's going to be a very highly skilled position i would think as a voter i want to want i want somebody in there that knows how this works and is good because those are key positions i mean treasurer and auditor for that's really key when you look at the finances so okay well let's stay on top of that i'll stay on top of that you know one other thing when i was talking to carmel um angelo she said that you know she talked about the fractured system just like you said some are appointed some are elected some are under so and so uh i just wanted to clarify one thing where is the county council is that under the ceo or is that who, yeah, who county I- council is um under the board of supervisors Okay, so you hire and fire the county council. That's right. And they report to you, not the CEO, or to both, or how does that work? The county council reports to the the board. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Just wanted to clarify. I think there's been some confusion in the public about that because of this fractured system, who's elected, who gets who. That's one of those things that I would have assumed would have been under the CEO, and it's not. Okay, so that's under the board of supervisors. Okay, good to know. So one of the things that you keep bringing up that I think is really good, like I said, is that every time one of these projects comes on the table, you go, okay, where's the money going to come from? How's it going to continue on? And how do we set our priorities? And one of the things you've been saying in public quite a bit, and I actually quoted on the air a couple times, is anytime money comes up about being spent, you're talking about roads, which is which is important for the county. There's a lot of county roads. I had um, Howard Dashell on last year, and we talked about the miles and miles of roads. And I'm sure that anytime anybody hits a pothole, they call you. And one of the things you've been saying is we maybe need to start looking at, I don't know if you call it decommissioning the roads, but letting some of these roads go back to uh, dirt roads or gravel roads. And I think that's an interesting concept because we are now out over $600 million in deferred maintenance for our road systems. So when you bring that up, are you bringing it up just to highlight that we don't have the money to do a lot of stuff? Or are you really thinking that this is something that we should be looking at as a county, deciding what we can afford to do and what we can't afford to do? Well, I think we're in denial, and I mean, you you say it's an in- interesting idea. I'll tell you, if you live on one of those roads, it may not be interesting. It may seem like a horrific concept that uh, your asphalt may become gravel again. And, you know, I'm not advocating for that. That's not where I want to take Mendocino County, but you're right. Uh, we need about $700 million over 10 years, and we spend 5.8 per year on roads. So... You know, if we're in denial, if if we pretend we're going to keep up, we don't have a plan today to keep up on our roads. And, you know, where would you, you know, if you want to cut other services so we can afford roads, what would you cut? You can't cut public safety, and that's where most of our discretionary dollars go. You know, the sheriff is right. He says, uh, you know, I believe he needs to follow uh, a budget. I think that's part of law and order. But 
He also needs to receive a large enough budget allocation that he can keep the public safe. And I know he's having trouble staffing. And he's right. He needs more. Rhodes also needs more. What, what do we do? And you know, I, I found myself in a difficult position on this strategic plan because there isn't an item on the plan that I don't support. It's all good ideas. And I don't want to vote against it. My colleagues put in a lot of work, and they, they brainstormed some really great um, wish list ideas. At the same time, recognizing that we don't have nearly enough, I think we need to rank our wish list and decide what are the top three or what are the top five. I would think public safety would be up there at the top, whether it's uh, you know fire response, law enforcement. I would even throw an ambulance. Uh, ambulance service is not a county uh, responsibility per se. It's private market, but somebody calls 911 and they're not getting an ambulance in a timely manner. That's, that's pretty bad. So public safety, and then I would think uh, roads. Roads, uh, you talk about equity, roads benefits everyone. And uh, it'll be an inhospitable place to live if we don't have asphalt roads. Some of this is working with the state, but like I said at the beginning, I think our state reps don't have the legislative votes to give Mendocino County a larger budget allocation. What do we do? These are issues we need to discuss. And just pri- start start really looking at prioritizing is what you're saying. Yeah. And being honest about the cost of things. Yeah, and, and maybe there's some areas, you know, the, uh, the cartel activity in the east part of the county. Maybe, maybe the state needs to come through. This is their cannabis program, not ours. Yes. And use some of those dollars to, to clean up that cartel activity. Nobody in Mendocino wants to have the cartel operating in the out in the hills and uh that burden can't be put on our on our sheriff you know we need to use our funds for um mendocino county services not addressing a, a state crisis well and then not that i want to get into it but you talk about the 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 sheriff's budget and what gets you know what gets thrown at him um and you can't when he's trying to budget safety and all that comes first so now we've had there's been three murders, two or three bodies found in Mendocino County in the last month and a half. I think mm-hmm. two, two. So there you go. We've had our murder rate is up, and every time that happens, that draws the sheriff in. It draws a lot of our resources in the sheriff's department and all of that. And that, again, you, don't plan, you can't plan for that kind of thing. It gets thrown at you, and you have to fund it. Correct? That's right. Okay. All right. So... Again, it's Ted Williams, 56 Supervisor, Chair of the Board of Supervisors today, and we're discussing priorities for 2022. Oh, Hard to believe. Um, when, one of the topics I like to discuss when we talk about budget is the discretionary money, and that's the money that, doesn't, that, is, that the supervisors actually have in a little pile that they can decide where it goes. Okay, to the and it's just never it's never been that much money. Um, so I want to come back to this whole cannabis and the money coming in from the cannabis. That's discretionary money, right? It that, is from the tax. So mm-hmm. we want to do the best we can to get as a fair income from the cannabis that's going on, minus the cartels. I guess it'd be nice to bring them in on this. Um, so one of the things that's come up at the supervisors that board a meeting that I don't quite understand, and I hope maybe you can give me insight to, is that a lot of the times the cannabis reports on the 
process of who's in the who's getting into the into the uh, legalization, who's getting permitting, where the funding's coming from, and uh, now there's legacy. There's money coming from the state to help a lot of legacy farmers and stuff. This this seems to be not a consistent item on the board's uh, agenda. It seems like sometimes it pops up in public expression. Um, it comes in in different avenues. Is there a reason that we don't have a time slot for that, like maybe once a month or an well, ad hoc committee? I'm, I'm not, I just feel like it's scattered. It, it, it is. Thank and you. I, you know, as chair trying to help put the agendas together. Yeah. If there's a cannabis topic, it can get a lot of public expression at times, hours of public expression for, you know, what could be a 15 minute item. And I don't, none of us want to squelch the public. But there's a lot of other business that the county needs to take care of. And cannabis has, over the last several years, gotten a disproportionate amount of time. It's, it is an issue. Um, what, you know, what I've asked it, my, my colleagues is uh, to bring forward specific language. If they have a change to, to help fix the cannabis legalization process, propose that red, those red line changes. But you know, don't, don't come to a meeting to tell us about the problems. We all know what the problems are. And, it, you know, don't don't have an agenda item for us to brainstorm what to do. Um, and I, you know, I think we saw yesterday that it, it towards the end of the day, it looked like there was a time sensitive issue. But we learned ad hoc hasn't had a chance to work with stakeholders, doesn't have any uh, specific changes in mind and hasn't worked with the department head. As chair, I'm asking that that happen first, you know, get get all the get all the pieces uh, in order so that we can, uh, we can hopefully we can uh, vote to support. Uh, what, what the ad hoc brings forward. And, you know, the cannabis program, it, it's really the state's program. And voters pass it as Prop 64. I'm, I can't justify it. It's, it's a terrible model. It, it can't work for small farmers. And I think we see the natural conclusion right now. You know, it's like I've equated it to asking these uh, farmers to permit a gas station in their backyard in a, in a rural residential zoning. It's outrageous. But we don't have much local control so you know you can put it on the agenda as many times as you want we can all complain about it uh this is a state issue so when you talk about ad hoc committee is that a cannabis ad hoc committee or was that just focused on the money for uh it's legacy i can't remember what the name of the money's coming well uh, it's uh glenn and john are on a cannabis themed ad hoc i don't have the exact scope in front of me they were looking at the portal and some other related issues so it's just kind of it, equity. equity. So the equity and the porthole maybe were the topics. Yeah, I was really surprised yesterday. This is what kind of shocked me. And this is why I was thinking, oh, my God, this is why having a long-term CEO that knows how these processes work is kind of a good thing. Uh, at the at the very end of the board meeting, you're talking about all of a sudden it pops up. Wow, there's this deadline for this money. It's the end of February. When can we meet to do it? Uh, and it was like. All of a sudden, everybody expected you to brainstorm it at the end of the meeting instead of having, like you said, some ad hoc committee that's already on it, that's dealing with the players and comes with comes to the board with a presentation saying, we need to do this. This is when we're suggesting we do it. Uh, so I was kind of surprised with that. And it was actually Carmel who s- said to you guys at the end of the meeting, by the way, have you brought in the head of the cannabis group or, you know, um, mm-hmm. Kristen? Right. Yeah, she's the well, she's well, she's, she's the a department head. Department it's called head. a it's called a <laughs> it cannabis was, program. I think that'll be fixed. It'll be the cannabis department. 
Okay, there you go. So, and nobody had thought even the committee to talk to her to say, wow, can you do this on this shorter deadline? So I, th- it's those kind of little glitches that I wonder, um, is that going to be the responsible board of the board going forward to catch those glitches? Well, you know, that kind of stopped me Glenn yesterday. Is, you know? Glenn is Glenn is new, and he came in. He and Mo came in at a difficult time during a pandemic. True, and so they didn't have access to the office. And you know, I think staff was dealing with a, a crisis at hand. And you know, it's it's been a hard. It's it's it was more difficult for them to come into office than it was for me. I got a lot more support. And I think they're, you know, Glenn's probably uh, learning the hard way, just as I did. Show up with, have good documentation, bring an idea where you, where you're confident you're going to get three, hopefully a majority. And um, I, but I, you know, I, I feel bad sticking anybody with these cannabis problems because it's a, it's a no-win situation. And you know, maybe we can apply some band aids, and I'm confident that that ad hoc will bring those band aids. But I don't want to give the false impression that. We're going to somehow fix uh, the, the cannabis economy. I don't. It, this is a state problem. It truly is a state problem. I totally agree with you, um, Ted. I think um, in other issues for you, and then I think I'm going to give a give you and I a few more minutes, then open up the phone lines if you don't mind to see what the callers want to like know about for the coming year. So um, we have the strategic plan going ahead. I know you you know you're supportive of the idea, but you want numbers and ideas of how it's going to go forward, which I think is really good. I think that should be a good part of it. If you're going to suggest we do such and such and it's going to be five years down the line, that's fine. But if you're talking about getting something going in the next year and a half, you better have an idea of how you want to do it and put something on the table. Is that kind of where you're leading with that on the strategic plan? Well, I, you know, I don't think we should document what we have today, right? We do want some stretch goals. We want to, the strategic plan should highlight where we want to go, not where we are. Okay. At the same time, I don't want it to come off as, you know, quasi- um, unfunded mandates or you know uh, campaign promises that we know we can't fulfill, and you know I look at that strategic plan and think every dollar in this county is allocated today, and the plan calls for a whole lot more spending. I mean, I want ambulances on the road, and I want the roads paved. I want the county to be fully staffed. I want all of those items. I think we have about three hundred and seventy-one open positions. If we were to actually fill those positions. As I understand, we would need about $45 million a year to cover the payroll. We don't have it. So we know we're not going to fill all the positions. Maybe, this, maybe the logical next step to the strategic planning effort is to say that was phase one. We came up with our wish list. Phase two is to put dollars and, and, ta- and the timeline next to the items. What do we expect to do in the next year, the next five, the next 10? What can we actually afford? And I think if we were to go through the exercise of looking at what it would cost, it may force us to rank and prioritize and, you know, be realistic. Yeah, we could use a lot of realism. Talking about running for election, you're up for, um, you're up this year, aren't you? I am. Okay. Are you going to run? Well, I, I did fi- file a 501. I'm, I'm willing to serve another term. Okay, just checking in about that. I'm, you know, it's a good thing to ask now because it's, I mean, yeah, th- that I, would you're be. Not gonna, I don't, you're not going to see me out there campaigning a whole lot. I'd, I'd rather focus on um, solving uh, problems and, you know, making progress and be interesting to see who else uh, decides to run. It will be. I'll be watching. If we need a debate, I'll give you a call. 
we'll talk about issues for sure okay well just wanted to get that in the door that you're going to stick around for another four years that would be good um i mean the continuity of going from supervisors to supervisors i think is an important thing in this county i'm not sure that four years is enough to get in be effective and then figure you've done your job and move on sometimes because of the slow pace of government let me just say that. How's that? Because of the slow pace of government. All right, folks. Uh, um, callers, you want to call in, have a question, uh, 895-2448. Ted Williams, our supervisor for the 5th District, and he's also chairing the meetings this year. So let's continue on about some of the other hot topics that are on. Um, I really did appreciate you yesterday when you uh, said to uh, Representative Woods that it's really great that this state puts down all these mandates for the counties and then doesn't put any money with it and then later in the board um board meeting it came up about this whole new law about composting uh food products and in the waste getting them out of the waste stream and there was all these things that uh, uh, howard dashell has to do about and the county's going to have to do to set up all these new bins and programs and it's going to take a lot of work to fulfill this mandate from the state. And it was great that you said, uh-huh, and did they give us money to do that? And, they, and I think they said they're giving, they were eligible for a grant, a one-time, to cover about one quarter of the actual cost. And uh, isn't that preposterous? I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I, can't argue, I can't argue against uh, dealing with climate pollutants. These are really good ideas. It needs to happen. And yeah. Adapting to to climate change, it, you know, it um, puts stress on on government at all levels. But you know, for the state to show up and say, "You must do this. You must do this. Here's a mandate. Here's the enforcement. We're going to fine you if you don't do it." How are we paying for it? Right? It should funding needed to be attached. This is uh, Senate Bill uh, thirteen eighty three. Some really good ideas, but another set of unfunded mandates. So did. Uh Representative Wood get that, that we need money to do this, and, and I didn't even hear well, about he, penalties. I mean, they're going to penalize us if we can't have the, we don't have the money to do it? Great. Well, we, I guess we can pass it on to ratepayers, but, you know, ratepayers, people are struggling in, in our county. There's a lot of poverty, and the shutdown of the pandemic, and, I mean, to, to ask ratepayers to absorb one more cost, uh, I guess we have to do it, but I think that, I think the state needs to find a way to fund this. It's a it's an ex- it's an expensive endeavor, and it's just it, you look in the aggregate of unfunded mandates. This won't be the last. They'll show up with another one and say, "And by the way, you're going to pay for this." We we have the same budget, actually. I think we have less budget uh, as we go forward, and you know, Prop 13 and uh, in inflation. In real terms, we have we probably have less to work with now than we did 10 years ago. And, per capita, uh, yet and yet we yet we have more unfunded mandates. So I guess we'll take it from roads or, I don't know, law enforcement. Where do you want us to take the money to pay for uh, this, this mandate? Did I didn't hear, did uh, Howard Daschle have a figure of what it's going to cost the county to, to fulfill this? I hope I'm not misstating, but I thought Amber indicated that it may be four times um, the, the grant funding opportunity. I don't think we have an exact number yet. It was about, it's, yeah, it's, nobody's it's, got the numbers it's, yet. It, it, it's significant. It's more than we expect it'll be. 
And again, where does that money come from? It comes out of the discretionary money that you have to spend, which is roads and public safety. Yeah. All right. Uh, listeners, 895 or 707-895-2448. If you'd like to get involved in this discussion, the lines are quiet. I don't know if it's AT&T or just us, but we'll just keep going. We've got 10 minutes left. Um, so... What are some of the other issues that you want? I know you've been working on the broadband. Are we getting closer to that? I mean, this seems to be something that's been going on for years, but I heard we're on the cusp of really getting something moving forward with broadband. I know it's well, a it's, big issue it, at the it, state it, level. Yeah, the state is, is funding broadband deployment at a historic level. We've never right. seen the $7 billion, and I understand that there's more in the pipeline through other sources. Uh, we, we have detailed maps from Mendocino County. Uh, we, we came up with a price of about half a billion dollars to wire up the, the currently unserved. Okay. And we're not seeing anywhere near that much in funding, not even not even 20%, maybe closer to 10%. And our state reps are, are aware. I've been vocal that um, this is wonderful. It's historic. And it's not nearly enough. We may have to look at other topologies. Uh, I think the next step is to work closely with the state to detail what exactly we can do with the funds that are coming. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of hand waving at this point. The state will perv- will install what's considered the middle mile. This will be fiber running along most of the state highways through our county. This is really good. Okay. And then the county will be uh, allocated funding to provide the last mile. That'll be from the state highway off to the, the residential communities. Exactly what that handoff is at a technical level. Where, how are the junction space? How do we avoid redundancy? Are we paying all for all of this, the CEQA analysis? Uh, you know, what is the actual cost relative to the funding that we're receiving? Can we work with third-party providers? Uh, government agencies or for-profit there's, there's a lot of details that need to be worked out some of these we maybe we just don't know but we have been asking um it, it is one of the bright spots even though it's not enough I, I i think it'll change the landscape in mendocino county you know we we see healthcare changing and you know cvs amazon a whole lot of other players are offering telemedicine and not that that replaces uh, uh, in doctors on you know in a facility for surgery or if we're doing a physical exam, but we're likely to see more and more people ex- using telemedicine. And if Mendocino County doesn't have broadband, they can't do it. And you know, one of the examples I threw out when I was campaigning um, four years ago is my daughter was doing working towards her associates at Mendocino College, and then the pandemic hit and school was closed and she went all online and she's at Berkeley. Now she did over a hundred credits at Mendocino college. Well, there's kids in this County that don't have that opportunity because they don't have broadband. And so I, I see this as one of the bright spots and it, it, it'll take years to put in. We're going to be fighting for more funding. Um, but I, but I expect we will see progress. And this is coming from somebody who's pretty pessimistic about government in general. This is uh, this is a good move on the state's part. And is there federal money also available, or are we we're looking mainly to the state? I know the feds have put out a lot towards. They've been talking about broadbanding for all of the United States. So it, it, it's really not to get into the weeds, but it's really a combined federal and and state allocation. There's multiple funding sources. Um, it's 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 in the billions. Um, and we we joined a, a joint powers uh, with a uh, number of other rural counties. This is under uh, RCRC. We're also part of a uh, cons- um, an entity with uh, Sonoma, Napa, and Marin. And uh, and we may do some work on it on our own. It, so the details remain to be worked out. And 
it's 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 on my top three right now as a weekly uh, endeavor. Oh, what are the other two? <laughs> just figuring out just how, off, figuring just out off hand. There's to, no callers coming in, so you talk about one. Let's they, go for the other they, two. They, what they, are they, the top they, of your list? I'll tell you some of the other some of the other items. Yeah, I want to hear. Three. Yeah. Um, broad, broadband is one of them. Uh, county finances and being realistic, and 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 the board as a whole and the public getting a better snapshot of, of what we're working with and where we can go from here. On the coast, uh, it's not a it's not a it's not under county oversight, but I'm really concerned about the hospital. Another unfunded mandate by 2030 meeting seismic code. Yeah, and our assembly member Wood has tried to delay that. I it, it, unsuccessfully, no fault of, of his, but I actually believe a hospital should meet seismic code. Should be the last building standing. It'll be treating the people who have injury from an earthquake. That's that's in the tens of millions. Um, water, whether you're inland or the coast, the climate changing, drought conditions. That's a really big deal, and I, I don't know how we're going to afford it. Uh, on the coast, we have a skilled nursing facility that is is not in great financial shape, and you know, growing concern. And uh, you know, I I still respond to fire calls, and I notice a pattern, and I imagine it's throughout the the county that you have somebody calling every three months, and then they call every month, and then they call every day, and then multiple times a day, and it's because we have an aging population, and there isn't a great next step for people who can no longer live at home. Where do they go? Well. Losing a skilled nursing facility has it has, will, will will make that concern even more pronounced. Roads we talked about um, housing. I put out a, a survey. I think there were about uh, 372 responses, and it was to help steer me on where where the community wants to take housing. The county can't build houses, and so when we talk about solving housing, we're not going to get out there and build it. And uh, you. We're not going to change building code. We don't see examples of where local jurisdictions have convinced the state to loosen, loosen building code. And regulation has made building really expensive. One of the variables that we do control is land use. We could decide to allow higher density buildings that have a, a, a better cost point per unit. We could allow subdivision. Some of the questions on the survey were to guide me. What communities, and I asked people to enter their zip code, what communities both want housing and are willing to see development because over the last three years, I've heard from some communities that say they want housing, but then when we talk about specifics, they say, well, we don't want development. We don't want to get built up. And we really need to find that intersection. And I was surprised. Some of the answers were surprising. All right. So what, uh, do, what did you find out? Number 10. Yeah. Well, people, people told me that they, about four to one, they would prefer re-envisioning housing and our communities uh, over maintaining the, the character. And a large number, not quite half, almost half, said uh, building needs to have water infrastructure first. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. The places to build in this county tend to be the cities, but it's because the cities have infrastructure. What if we were to provide or find ways to build out that infrastructure in other areas? I'm talking about water and sewer primarily. Um, We've got to do something. We know we can't. We can't house the people who desperately need housing in Mendocino. And uh, Dan and I are working on some lightweight regulation for uh, vacation rentals. It is a problem. At the same time, we have about I think it's thirty-four thousand uh, residential structures countywide. Maybe it's more than that, and uh, about five hundred or so vacation rentals. 
some of those are second homeowners that'll just leave it empty if we regulate it. And uh, some are uh, hosted uh, where they, they live on site and they're renting an upstairs or an outbuilding. Uh, when you look at how many units we're actually going to free up, it's a good idea. We need to do it, but it's not going to solve the housing problem. But it will be helpful. And it, yeah, I think there's a perception that there's a lot of homes that are being bought just with the specific idea by corporations, multiple units where they're turning them into short term rentals. I think that I don't know. I don't know how we find out if that's just a perception or if that's actually real. And it's probably by area. I'm sure the coast and Anderson Valley are hit more with that than, say, Willits and Covalo. One of the ideas I've had is to uh, allow the vacation rentals for people who live on site and whether they're on vacation and they want to rent it while they're gone or, you know, they have excess space that they want to. That's that's a different scenario than a corporation out of county buying up our housing stock to make hotels. And how would we even find that out? Is there any gosh, that'd take a lot of research. I guess you just have to ask the neighbors. we're, we're, we're researching it, but yeah. I would think driver's license address, voting address, homestead exemption, there's ways to figure out signing under penalty of perjury. You know, those corporations likely aren't going to sign and um, falsify documents that they actually live in a structure that, that they don't because they're a corporation. So, I, you know, we might have some people cheating the system. That's, that's the nature of, of, um, of these situations, but maybe we could free up some stock. And at least get some regulations or uh, ordinances in place so we don't go to the spot where we've got huge corporations coming in buying up things. So, yep. Hey, Ted, we're, we did it. We blew through an hour. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.